Welcome to Conversations with Your Chinese Auntie Podcast. Your host, Patricia Peterson, has conversations with BIPOC folks about life, shares wisdom, and discusses their experience with topics like growing up in an immigrant family, racism, and a sense of belonging. In this podcast, we give voice to people of color and learn more about their lives. So join your Chinese auntie as she has compelling conversations with fascinating people. Without any further ado, let's dive headfirst into this episode. Hi, friends. This is your Chinese auntie. Happy New Year. How was the holiday season for you? I am delighted today to welcome my dear friend and sister, Dr. Tanya G. In this episode, we talked about Tanya's path, traditional Chinese medicine, concubines, juicy, and ancestral healing work. It is a great episode. You also get to hear Tanya's belly laugh. It's one of the best things in life. I love her laughter. Also, at the end, she shared two auntie wisdom. Tanya is a veteran doctor of traditional Chinese medicine with 30 years in private practice. She has a thriving multidisciplinary clinic in Vancouver, Canada and is dedicated to the principles of service, devotion, compassion, and love. Best described as a storytelling intuitive doctor of traditional Chinese medicine, she laughs out loud every day and inspires everyone to be the most optimal version of themselves. We have been friends for a long time and connected right from the start. We don't see each other often, but when we do, the conversations flow. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, my sister. Hello, sister from another mother. Sister from another mother. How's it going? You know what? It's Boxing Day. Um, I actually very well over the holidays. Practically did nothing. That's good. Which is honoring of the self, which is something rather new. Which is also in Chinese medicine theory. This is a time to chill and rest and if you live according to the seasons winter is when you're supposed to hibernate slow down do put nothing. on some weight put on the bear weight and just and not stress about it hey i'm for it i'm all for it and i'm doing it it's like i call the panda weight i'm putting panda. The- yeah. yes the panda weight. i love that. that i That's love it. it okay thanks for being here Thank you for inviting me. I feel incredibly honored. Of course. Usually, first question, who are you? Ancestry, who am I? Identify. How do you identify yourself? What would you like to like us to know about you? Ooh. Okay. Ooh. So, my, you can call me Tanya. My name is Dr. Tanya G, and I'm a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine for almost 30 years now. Ooh. But I'm also a daughter and a sister and a friend. And I also believe that within my heart and within your heart and within everyone's heart is a glorious, immortal, divine inner being. So when I say to you, namaste, I see the God within you that dwells also within me. I truly believe that. Mm -hmm. I'm Chinese-Canadian descent. My grandparents immigrated here from China, and, but I identify as Canadian. And my pronouns are she and her. Oh, what do you want to know about me? 
we can see you to know everything. Actually, I want you to know everything. There is no question that's taboo with me. So, cool. do you speak a second language? I've never seen. asked you that. So, I know, what I just said was I speak Spanish because I have a spiritual teacher who doesn't speak English. And mm. so, it's important for me to speak or aprender and to learn Spanish. So, Spanish. is that teacher through the Newa Institute? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Juan Ruiz Nalpari. He is from Cusco, Peru, and in, he is definitely my true teacher. Oh, let's get back to him in a bit. Sure. But so do you then speak Mandarin or Cantonese? Well, sure. Canada, Lida means I am a and that's a foreign student from Canada. Like you, I speak Mandarin medically. Our acupuncture points, our herbs, our syndromes are all in Chinese, right? But I couldn't say, hey, where's a good place to hang on the weekend in Mandarin? And I did my postgraduate study in China with a very few of us. I think there was only like nine of us that went and spent a big chunk of time there and logged a lot of hours um, in the clinic. And we had to have we had to have translators. But the translators are quite impressed because our knowledge of TCM was brilliant. But we just we didn't have any conversational Mandarin. I still don't have any conversational. Mandarin. You speak multiple language, right? I speak Mandarin. I know some Cantonese. Then I have my dialect, which is Hokkien, which I'm not great at. I can say things like, are you hungry? Do you want oh, to yes. eat? Yeah. Uh, um, Mandarin, I'm better. Cantonese, it's not bad. I only know Cantonese because I grew up in Singapore, in Chinatown, and all the grandmothers spoke Cantonese. Oh, interesting. The interesting thing is, so my put, my paternal grandmother spoke Hokkien. Oh. A lot of the other grandmothers spoke Cantonese. Oh. And they always sit around, right? They always sit around every afternoon, have coffee and have toast and stuff. But they can communicate with each other. Different language. Interesting. They would sit and gossip. Yeah, I was going to say, they can speak smack about people. No one will know. Them drinking coffee and having toast. I want to be part of that group. They do. They, they, they sit there, they gossip, and they talk about their children and grandchildren. And in, in my first episode, I talked about this. I joked about this. But they talked about the guy who used to carve mahjong tiles by hand. Ooh. And he rented a space from my dad's shop on the basement. Uh, on the ground floor, and they would talk about the guy. Not bad things, but they would just talk about the guy and him and his, he was single and the whole thing. But interesting enough, all these grandmothers didn't speak the same language and they could communicate. Oh, very interesting. interesting. I know. So you grew up here. I did. Born and raised here. Second generation. Well, second, really, when you're grandparents immigrate are they considered first generation they're first. they immigrate so they are first so you're third okay. i'm third yeah because mom was your parents were born here they were born here okay yeah yeah i am so canadian i grew up on craft dinner and this is before i knew anything about chinese medicine but every time i would have craft dinner i'd fall asleep and thinking that was normal and now you think oh it's full of dampness destructive <laughs> digestive system i'm just like more like gluten and gluten sensitivity and dairy sensitivity. Oh my God. And what then we would put like peas and tuna in it, making it. Oh, no, oh you didn't. 
cup of mercury and some processed, slightly processed peas. Yeah. Wait no we could do a whole episode on dampness in chinese medicine oh Oh, yeah cheese whiz total dampness cheese whiz for sure dairy man i can't process this can you process it i always joke that because our ancestors didn't really eat milk so we can't yeah no no i'm totally i am so dairy sensitive oh it's awful like just awful, but does that stop me from putting whipped cream on the chocolate milkshake? <laughs> no, it but doesn't stop. It's, it's not every day. Yeah, no, it doesn't stop me from eating cheese now and then and ice cream now and then. But you know talking. the consequences after you eat it. Oh yeah, yeah. Like what happens to me? I get my lungs will rattle, like I'll get phlegm, and it wakes me up at night. Oh, oh. That happens every time I have dairy. Yeah, every time. Oh, see, I get. It. Should we talk about poop? We should, because we're both TCS. Yeah, why not? Diarrhea. <laughs> okay, wait, have a listen. There's TCM means traditional Chinese medicine. No, I got sticky poop, man. Oh, I get it. Oh, I can't get damp it. Oh, nice. you got that damp now. Oh, you get that damp poop. Okay. I got the dampness. I got the dampness on the lower body and heat on the upper body. Oh, and then that's- you. Good. No, and then you talk about us getting into menopause. That's another topic. Oh, we should do a whole talk. Let's do that. Oh, my God. You're going to come back. We'll talk about menopause and deafness. Oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do yeah, it. Sure. Let's do <laughs> it. I'm so excited for that. Yeah, we should do it most, because don't you find this? A lot of my friends are going into menopause or perimenopause oh, yeah. now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's no. amazing we're all friends. So you think of it'll be like picking fights and, you know, again, talking smack about each other and then crying and then wanting to have things like alcohol and chocolate is ridiculous. Oh, see, um, I, I'm okay. I don't do I don't do alcohol. No, me neither. It gives you hot flashes. I forget. It. It's not worth no, it. Yeah. No. Red wine, man. Red wine is the worst. Oh. Oh. Yes. Okay. Let's do a episode. We're gonna get you okay. back. We're gonna do a whole episode about menopause. Oh, you know what? How about this? You come on my podcast, and that's what we'll talk about. Unless you want to bring me back, but I'm having you as a guest on mine. I'm happy to do it on yours. Oh, right. we can do it. We can do both. Chinese medicine. How did you become a doctor of Chinese medicine? Oh, you know what? I hundred percent believe in destiny. But that's really a story, that yeah. You should be asking more about my spiritual beliefs because everything falls into place. My spiritual beliefs is that I 1000% believe that there is destiny, that there is a life plan that is already set out for you. And I also yes. that God gives you free will. And then having said that, we will make decisions that alter our destiny that God never planned. And I really feel that, that when that happens, difficult things happen. Mm-hmm. And so it's a reminder to come back to the heart, reflect, rectify your mistakes, come back to the center and start again. So when I think about how I got into TCM, I'll, I'll tell you, it, 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 it's a very, I'll make a long story short is that I was hit, my car was hit by some teenagers and I ended up getting a herniated disc in my back. It was so bad that I had that adopted that posture, that curved back posture. Yes. So I 
when I got out of, I was still driving. When I get out of my car, I'd have to literally go on all fours on the ground to stop the spasm in my back and then slowly get up to walk. And I, it got to the point where I couldn't work. And it was just, the pain was incredible. And I got, a friend of mine suggested I try acupuncture. And it just so happens that the acupuncture I saw turned up out, she was a teacher at the International College of TCM. So after about eight treatments with her, I was so much better, 80% better that I went back to work. And then, yeah. and then I thought to myself, this is my ancestral medicine. Mm. And it was so extraordinary and it helped me so much. I said, I want to learn this. So I asked her, I said, how do I become a student? And she said to me, they require all the science background. And my background was in like marketing, business and marketing. It wasn't in in sciences. And we had to write a, an essay on why we wanted to be a TCM person and our TCM student. And so I just basically wrote from my heart. I wanted to help people and I wanted, and I had such good results and I wanted wow. to, from, from, I think two or three students were accepted based on passion. And I was such a suck up because I ended up going to the college and I would present oranges to, to the principal <laughs> and I would like, sweep up the herb room and stuff just like volunteer and they're like who are you, you know? <laughs> see i wouldn't call you a suck up though because the, don't you think that is something that we as chinese are taught respect the elders oh for sure for yeah sure. yeah be of service right you have yeah. service so what were you doing before that like before you got into i was GC? working at uh, uh i was a presenter and i also managed one of the the sections. It was called the search gallery. So oh, wow. I, I was a manager of one of the galleries and I did center stage shows and programs, school programs. I loved it. It was like club med, really. You, you were just basically having a fun day every single day. Mm. However, th there is a time limit for things like that, for any type of job that requires that much energy. It's, I wouldn't say it's a career. It's a yeah. uh, so I knew I had to do something else. So when this happened, when this came, and oh, this is fascinating. I forgot about this. When Science Row found out that I was going to apply for TCM school, the manager of the education department and the president of Science World sent a letter to the school without me knowing, recommending me. Wow. So that was quite nice. Actually, I forgot about that till now. Yeah, that was incredible. And so I got in. That's amazing. And you went in your way. You were you were years ahead of me because my admission was different requirements and stuff. I didn't have to write an essay. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't think that's what they're doing nowadays. But no. that was a long time ago. <laughs> I was. I, I do need to go back and ask you this because you said something in the sense that. Like life, if we make the wrong decision, we know, yeah, right? Yeah. Because things don't go well. Like yeah. we you're suffering, you was you're suffering. Yeah. But let me ask you this, because you and I have seen this in our practice, and even though I don't practice Chinese medicine anymore, but even as a therapist, is that how do you know you're on the wrong path? Because a lot of people don't. Because a lot of people, when things happen. Yeah, they're like, oh, it's bad luck, or if they fall sick over and over again. 
Because you and I'm a Buddhist and you're a Buddhist too. And we, it, with that spiritual lens, you're like, if things keep going down the wrong path or doors kept opening, you and I might take a step back and go, it's not meant to be. But we've seen people where they get sick all the time or the relationships don't work out. Doors closed. They might think to themselves, that's just bad luck. Yeah. But in your experience, I'm curious, how do you know whether it's your personal life or from your experience, how do you know when it's time to make the switch? A shift? That's a good question. Thank you for the question. First of all, I just want to clarify, I'm, I don't identify as strictly Buddhist anymore. Okay. Because I've, I've had some mystical experiences that has opened my heart to mm-hmm. more than Buddhism, but that's a different podcast. But anyways, okay, very good question. I think, not I think, what I share with clients, if they, if they ask me this question about whether if they're on the right path or not, this is what I say. Now, this is a bit of a Buddhist teaching, though. It is so true that we do not have control. The only control we have is what we think, what mm-hmm. we say, and what we do. That's it. Mm-hmm. We do not have any control of the second that's happening, the next second, the next minute, the next day. But if we're suffering because of our life, I always say, would happen if you returned to your heart. Mm-hmm. What would happen if you return to the heart, which is in the middle and a sanctuary for your being? What if you reprieved, asked for reprieve from the suffering and came back to the heart and stayed in this place of quietude, serenity, and replenishment? From here, you observe your life and observe what's happening and you ask yourself the simple question is, why am I suffering? And the answers are always the same. Either we are in a place of desire, Mm -hmm. which is wanting something so badly. Second of all is attachment, right? We are attached to the outcome. We're attached to whatever we're desiring. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, both of that is false. Because we have no control, right? So what would be happen if we let go of the desire and let go of the attachment? What would your life be like? What would you, your moment be like? It'd be peaceful, right? So in that moment, that's the only thing we're asking for. Mm-hmm. So when we remove the desire and the attachment, your whole life changes because your perception changes, right? So when I say to people, I don't say, you got to change your life because you're suffering. Come on. I might do that jokingly. Yeah. And I'll say. The only control you have is what you think, what you're saying, what you do. So come back to the heart and reflect and observe. Because in this place, it's less emotional. Less emotional. And then when we're less emotional, we're less full of desire, less full of attachment, less full of suffering. Right? What did, what did the Dalai Lama always say? He says, pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Mm-hmm. Pain in mm-hmm. life is inevitable, but suffering is optional. I love that, though. Yeah. Go ahead. I just want to say, too, a lot of people say, my partner died. Are you telling me that I, that I can't suffer? And I'm like, no. My teacher, Juan, said to me when I went through a divorce, he said, your inner being will weep 
for the loss of your beloved. But remember, there's a time limit because there's a natural process of grieving. But past that, like give yourself, say, I don't know, six months, a year or something like that. You give yourself a time limit. After that, it becomes habitual. Mm -hmm. It becomes a habitual form of, of suffering. So things like that. Yeah. And jelly, bean. jelly bean. I love that you call me jelly bean. Uh, <laughs> I also, you know, what I've also thought, I don't know about you. So in my family, emotions were never talked about, right? Like, oh, God. And yeah. my parents didn't have a language. They, they didn't have a language for it. Like mental health, forget it. But with grief, what is interesting is that I always tell clients, so 90% of my clients as a therapist, women of color. Right. Right. And a lot of us who grew up in, in that culture, especially Asians, we, our parents or grandparents didn't have the, they either didn't have the privilege to look after their mental health because it was all about survival or there just, there, there just wasn't that language in our culture that isn't, right? What I found a common thread is even in my own healing journey is we forget that while you're grieving, you're also allowed to feel joy. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Because for a lot of us, for a lot of, and this is a Western influence too, is that if I'm feeling X, I must feel X. If I'm sad, I have to feel sad. Mm. But when you give people permission and you let them know and you ask them and goes, what if you could hold a full range of emotions? Mm. So if you're grieving, sure, you grieve, right? Because you lose something, someone dies, a marriage breaks down, someone leaves. You're grieving, but also then what about while you're grieving, the next moment you feel joy? Mm. That'd be okay. Yeah. So for those of us without the language in growing up for it, we think, oh no, I must be sad. Like in my family, when my grandparents died, you're supposed to wear, at that time, you were supposed to wear black for... Oh, that's right. For 30 days, right? For 30 days. And then yeah. you're supposed to leave your widow. You're not supposed to get married. I think in the year or something. So there was that expectation placed on you that if you're grieving, you must be grieving. Nothing else. You cannot do anything else. You were not invited to Chinese, to Lunar New Year celebration. You're not, you were not invited to weddings. You were not invited to any birthday celebrations. Wow. Because you were seen as bad luck. Wow. My God. It's not surprising. How many of us grew up thinking, oh no, if I'm sad, I need to be sad. I cannot be anything else but sad. And bad luck. That's another episode. All these superstitions. Did you grow up with a lot of superstition? Not that I could think of, no. No, wow. That's because amazing. my parents were grown were born here. Yeah. But I know that I'm a fire horse. And according to the Chinese astrology, I'm like the worst sign for marriage. And I'm no. married. Yeah. And I'm married and divorced twice. So my choice, though, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating. No wonder you and I get along. Are you I'm a fire a, horse too? No, I'm a wood tiger. But tiger and horse are allies in the Chinese astrology. You are definitely my ally. Mm -hmm. Vice versa. 
I yes. got your back. I got your back, sister. Yeah, for sure. So before you and I started, we were going to talk about part of your ancestry. You want oh, to talk yeah. about that? Sure. It's fascinating, actually. You and I were discussing the concept of the concubine. Yes. For those who don't know what concubine is, when well, there's many forms. If you are, are a concubine, that means that you are second, third, fourth, or whatever wife of the so-called patriarch or master, mm-hmm. the husband, mm-hmm. which is different than the first wife because first wife has all the power. And then every wife after that has less and less. Depending on what number you are, you have less and less power. The, the higher the number goes. And usually it's only the rich patriarchs that if you can afford five wives, then you're super wealthy. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why taking on a concubine was preferable is because the more male offspring they had, yeah, the stronger the clan. And sometimes the first wife couldn't have children or only had one or whatever. So they, they'll take on more. However, yeah, yeah, okay. So it's not just in Chinese ancestry. It's in other ancestries as well, every cultures, other cultures. Mm-hmm. But we will just talk about our culture, our Asian roots. Yeah, so it is not a secret, but that runs in my ancestry. And how it is that my maternal grandmother was a concubine to my maternal grandfather, who my understanding is that he had a wife back in China that he never saw again. So my grandfather came to Canada, my understanding is in the late 1800s, and was here to work on the railway or the mining in the railway industry. And he ended up, I believe, working in the lumber industry, but I'm not too sure about that. But he came here with the hopes of having a better future and right. he set money back, right? Yeah. His- and then he was he took on my grandmother as a concubine, his I'm assuming his second wife. I don't know how many wives he had, but she bore him ten children. And my mom is the youngest. Wow. Yes. And what I understood was that she was about 20 years younger than my grandfather. So did she have a good life? I don't know because she's passed away. I can only share with you my assumptions. And from what I heard from my aunts and uncles and what I understand is that it was difficult, mm-hmm. very difficult because there was a lot of poverty and she loved her children more than mm-hmm. anything else. And it was very difficult. Just, I can't even imagine my, she didn't speak English. And so my mom, she, she somehow was able to communicate, but not in the way that you and I communicate or even the way that you and I communicate with our mothers. Mm-hmm. So the fascinating thing about the whole concubine thing is that I also found out that I had an, my one of my favorite aunts was also a concubine, and I have cousins who were concubines in Vancouver. So it wasn't just back home; it was spread out, and it was relatively modern. So I don't want to tell their what their names are, just to hide their mm-hmm. privacy or to respect their privacy. 
But it was shocking to me when I found out. And is it really shocking? I actually had a patient who's Caucasian, who was a second wife to an Asian man in Point Grey. Yeah. And he had a huge house and all the, she had two children from him and the first wife had children and they lived in this massively huge home. And she was perfectly happy being this concubine to this man. Mm -hmm. And there you go. That's a success story. When you look at it, have Mm. you thought about how has that affected you? Oh, yes. That's it. I have given that lots of thought. I think about my maternal grandmother not being able to speak English, not having any financial power, having all these children, not having literally any power. I know for a fact that one of her babies was a baby girl. And when she was born, they took the baby away from her and they adopted her out to another Mm -hmm. family. And my understanding was that the girls were not as valued as the boys and it was just another mouth to feed. Mm -hmm. What I do understand is that my grandmother slipped into a very bad postnatal depression and she never forgot her baby daughter until the day she died. She never forgot that baby. Mm. And it rips my heart out thinking about that. I recently found my aunt who was adopted out just last year. Yes. Uh, Yeah. My mom and I, my mom and I met her and we met her two months before she passed away. Mm. She was 90 and her children who are my first cousins, we are so similar and remarkably similar. And I say, this is beyond genetics. This is amazing. And he, and my cousin Leonard always says, he says, meeting you guys was the icing on my mom's life because she got to connect with her blood. And lots of time had passed. And what's so sad is that she knew she was adopted, but I, I guess she just didn't think anybody really cared about her because no one really went to find her. And mm. then my understanding was all my aunts and uncles thought it was best because she had a good life, they thought. And so therefore right. they didn't want to upset the apple cart. And I was the one that kept saying, mom, what about this missing aunt? Are you even concerned or curious? And so it was my cousins and I that got together and we found her like, it's all about social media and yeah. uh, the internet, but we found her. So yes, the whole idea of the concubine, how has that affected me? Here's what I think. I think about suppression and I think about feeling powerless mm. and I think about self-worth. My understanding is that my maternal grandmother was literally sold as a second wife and she came here to Canada fraudulently. She was supposed to be a third child to family, but in fact that she was their slave or their nanny, mm. their cook. And then when she became 15, they sold her and my uncle took her on as a wife. And I don't know if they're, I don't doubt if they're legally married. It was just, it wasn't, yeah. it just didn't happen back then. And I think about my aunts and my mother and myself, I ask, I reflect and observe. How is our self-esteem? 
how is our self-worth? And did we consciously and or unconsciously feel suppressed in our marriages? Because I'll make no secrets here. I've done psychedelic work. And in, in my psychedelic journeys, I was shown my ancestral and my ancestors and my ancestral wounds. And one of them was really about this, what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. The ancestral wound for me, it was anger, resentment, and powerlessness. And the, how that all comes down and into the future yeah. with my, the future generation. And the question back to me was, what am I going to do about it? And then I asked, what can I do? Mm-hmm. to heal this and the answer back was let it all go let mm-hmm. it all go and so i came home from my weekend and i said told my mom what i'd learned i'd learned about my grandmother the origins of her life and how she came here and my mom said who told you all this and i told her i i just made it like i was in a meditation <laughs> and it was true. Everything I was told in my experience was true. Yeah. yeah. And then when I asked my mom, I said, are you willing to let it all go to help heal the ancestors? And she said, good luck with that one. What did she mean by that? That it, it was odd? No. Was... no, it was, I'm not going to do it. Because letting go of anger and resentment and working yourself for the self-esteem is too much work. Yeah. So yeah. I said, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. Like you and I, you and I, I want to call you Patricia in Espanol. <laughs> yeah. You and I are the matriarchs of our, we've hit over 50 now. We are the matriarchs. Yeah. I don't, I think you'll resonate with this. So I did, a few years ago, I did a lot of ancestral healing work. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. The, there was a teacher, she was the assistant, but I did a lot of work with her. And I learned to say to her in a joking way, I said to her, why am I doing this work, healing ancestral trauma when I don't have children? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she said to me, she said, the thing is, you will find that usually it is those of us with no children who do the healing work because we have the space and the capacity to do. Yes. Yes. And I was like, and a part of me was like, this can't right fair, Because what am I doing this for? She's like, no, you're healing the lineages. And you're doing this for your sister's children, your children. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, fine. But also with my journey is when I started doing this ancestral healing work, healing the transgenerational trauma. My my parents are gone now, but my parents never wanted to talk about the past. If I had asked and said, oh, mom, what was auntie like? What was great-grandmother like? Dad was, my dad would always say, ah, that's in the past. I don't want to talk about it. Oh. So then when I did the healing work, a big chunk of it, dad was gone. Mom was still around. About six months in, a conversation with mom on the phone, she spilled everything. And I was like, okay. And I was told by my teacher that when you do this work, you don't be surprised if your aunties and mother or dad start talking. 
it was a it was like an hour conversation with my mother and I got all the dirt. Not oh. the dirt, but some dirt and history about my grandfather, her dad. And this is just she's oh yeah, I have sisters in China. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, two of them were chefs. I'm like, okay. And I was sitting there, because mom was in Singapore, I was here in Canada. I'm sitting there with a notebook just writing. Wow. So, you're right. We do the healing not only for us, but also for the lineage, right? Because then everybody benefits. Exactly. Because my grand. Both set of grandparents, grandmothers were also concubine. Mm-hmm. And people know this, but my on my dad's side, all the males, including my brother, first marriage always failed. Interesting. Uncle, dad, grandfather, brother, they all had to marry twice. Wow. Yeah. It's a fast when you look at it. When you look at the ancestry, the lineages, it's so interesting. So interesting. So interesting. I think about, it's funny, I ask the same question. I, I say, why am I doing all this work when I have no children? And my niece is transgendered into my nephew and definitely not having children. And you sit there and you go, okay, why am I doing this? But when I think about the seven generations before me, like I have cousins who have children. So when you, when we choose to, if we choose to reflect and see the mistakes and catch them or see the wounds of our ancestors and catch them, within us and we change what we think and our actions and our responses then we can transform that and i think about my ancestors cheering us on yeah they can't do it it's us in this reality but then we change it it gives all of my cousins and their children that fresh start in my mind i really believe in my heart i really believe that happens that can happen and if yeah. not what about everyone we touch when we wake up and be different and yes we everyone around us wakes up right like i'll give you an example i recently had something stolen from me and i don't know who in, who stole from me? I have my suspicions, but the I, sus, suspicion is a horrible disease because yeah. it can poison the heart. And so my mom and I chatted about it, and I said, "Mom, I said the thing is we have no proof, like none, and suspicion can poison us." So I and she's, like, "It must be so," and I'm like, "We have no proof, so they are innocent." And I said. And the only way that we, only thing we can do is continue to be loving, continue to be supportive, continue to be kind and compassionate because nothing can bring that back. And so therefore, 
it is their karma now. Mm. That they will have to deal with that. Which brings me back to the original question you asked about bad luck. I don't really believe in bad luck. Mm -hmm. My teacher, Juan, I know, like he said to me, he, he did say to me with the translator, he said, karma complete. You have been stolen from, but do no, no longer think about it. It's karma complete. Mm -hmm. There is no solution. Mm -hmm. And there is, you, do you have, he was like, do you have a solution? No. It's okay. Well done. Can you do anything about it? Nope. Okay. It's yeah. done. Karma complete. Let yeah. go. It's no, it's no longer. And I think that's a much better way of living. Oh, for sure. And I, I'm a big believer in that, right? And maybe because it's the, my Buddhist like influence of with karmic and stuff, but because ultimately it's like, is there anything you can do about it? No. No. So then you have two options. Are you going to keep being resentful or angry? Or, and not that you shouldn't feel this. I think you should feel the emotions that show up. But sure. then at some point you're like, if there's nothing I can do about it, I'm going to trust that yeah. karmically this will work out the way that it will, is supposed to work out. Because if you look at your life and my life, karmically we are at where we are. Mm -hmm. Because something is going on there that is without our control. And yeah, and just like with how you and I met, Chinese has a belief that each of us is connected with a rape threat that we've met in this lifetime that we have met before and we're connected by a rape threat. But you and I met because we work in the same building, in the elevator. Yeah. That's how we met. Yeah. Like, how does that? Even karmically, you're like, we are meant to meet. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So great. Uh, it's so great. <laughs> I love I'm so it. glad you giggle because I want everybody to hear your belly laugh. That is the best thing. Oh, my God. You know what? So funny because, like, when I'm at work, I if I laugh out loud, I want to say I want somebody go, shh, shh. Like, I grew up with my mom doing that to me. And now I just like, I don't care. Like, when I when you're needling someone, you get the chi. Yes. Like, I laugh out loud, partly because I don't want the patient to freak out. Especially when you're doing the big muscles in the butt, you're drilling that big needle. Yeah. Wing. I'm laughing out loud and I go, yes, that's what I do every time. And the, the people next, to, like my other patient next door, they're giggling because they can hear me. Yeah. That's the atmosphere I want. If you're crying, I'm like, I'm going to give you tissue so you can blow your nose and wipe up your snot. And then I'm going to say something stupid because to break the tension. That's just who I am. I'm curious. I know we, I don't want, I, I, we, oh my God, you have to come back again because there's so much things to talk about. With you, so my perspective, my, how I look at you beside being my sister. Is that you're someone who personifies love and kindness. You actually Except remind me. Well, that's a whole lot. You're going to tell them about that. Thank you. You remind me of quite a lot about my dad, who was always like kind. He was kind. He was love. He had the best laughter. 
were you always like that? Or was it something that kind of comes, came to you as you got older? You know what? I was always like that. Yeah. My, I, I did a little speech uh, um, in Victoria. And, yes, I saw that one. Yeah. Right? Oh, thank you. I, and I talked about uh, how when I was in, in kindergarten class, it was so true that I would run around and tuck kids in when they're taking a nap and I'd kiss them on the forehead. And if somebody was crying, I would tend to them and I would always say, it's okay, your mommy's coming back for you. Don't cry, everything's gonna be okay. And then I would bring them all to the center and then instruct the other kids to play with the one that was crying so that everyone's happy. Right? But I remember my mom would say to me that I had no fear into talking to anyone. And I was always curious. And then I would say things like, a lady would walk by with a yellow dress on. And I would say, I like your yellow dress. I would just five. And I still do that. But don't you think that's because you were allowed to be oh, your personality? Mm-hmm. Even mom was like, oh, don't be so loud. No? No. My, okay. My mom, super introverted. I love her. She is her own person. Always afraid that something would happen to me. Didn't like me hugging people, and oh. was, but she was only, it was only to protect me. Yeah, but I listened. Why didn't you? Because see, I'm curious. Yeah, because some kids would be like, "Oh no, mom said I shouldn't do X, Y, Z." Whereas you were like, "No, no this no. is what who I am. This is what I'm gonna do." Yeah, I think it was because my mother, being so introverted and passive. I don't think she disciplined me in the way that other mothers would have disciplined. Uh, but I also think that there was two of us when I was growing up. My younger brother's eight years difference. but So my older brother's two years older. So I can only imagine how exhausted my mom must have been. Yeah. Two kids. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was just so extroverted and all that jazz, but always willing to help. And yeah, I don't know. I think it was. I was born that way. That's I think it amazing. was definitely my personality for sure. But but yes, and in my reflection now, as we mature and become a little more seasoned and seasoned, you know, I love that. I am probably I'm still the same, but learning better boundaries mm-hmm. and Still very genuine in my personality and affection, but yes, and I am definitely a little more reserved, I think, for sure. Because with maturity comes reflection and understanding of why do I do what I do. Oh. That opens up a whole different doorway about they're the pleasers, right? They're people pleasers. Yeah. And then then giving too much and how you become empty, right? Empath. I'm an empath. So yeah, your feeling is that your feeling? Am I feeling you, or is it just me? That type mm-hmm. of thing. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm well, so I know my life is way better because you're in it with your uh, sister. 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 No, agree. Yeah. You and I. Okay, here's what I think. Let me tell you what I love about you. I know I'm your guest, but let me tell you what I love about you. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, my sister. Go ahead. Here, here's I'm so what I kidding. About you. Okay. Um, vo- willing to be vulnerable and authenticity. That's what mm-hmm. I learned from you. Mm-hmm. Because as long as I've always known you, you've never tried to be someone you're not. You've never 
you always exuded truth. So it, like, if you're like, if you're happy, if you're, you were contemplated or upset about something, you didn't mask that. You were so authentic. And so because of that, I trust you 100%. There's no errors yeah. about you. And those are the type of people I want to be around because yeah. you, when you Thank do you. it, you give me permission to do it, right? And yeah. so, yeah. Thank you for saying that. I also think you see that part of me because what you said, you allow me to be me when I'm with mm -hmm. you. But also, a lot of therapy help. Mm -hmm. And also to what you said, getting older is, you know what? This is me. Mm -hmm. Take it or leave it. I don't want to yeah. play the games. I don't want to yeah. be who I'm not anymore. Because we cannot live up to anybody's expectations of us. True. And for me, that's a big life lesson on this journey. And, but yeah, thank you for saying that. Before I let you go, I want to listen. I want to, you to plug about your podcast. Tell me about the podcast. Oh, here's what I wanted to create is that I want my podcast is raw. Meaning it's like you talk about whatever you want to talk about. Mm -hmm. It's unedited. So Sweet. I always talk about just don't swear. Or otherwise, it's going to be tagged explicit. And, I don't yeah. want that. and no annoying jingle. Because I, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I'm always fast forwarding their jingle, right? That's <laughs> they do a lot of advertising produced by oh. someone of the New York Times. I couldn't care less. Mm -hmm. And then they have the jingle, couldn't care less. I, I just want, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about authenticity. I want you to be vulnerable. I want you to share. And that will inspire others to be that, right? So that's what it's all, all about. Yes, you are definitely going to be a guest. And they're all mine are all going to come out as of starting up quite soon, actually, mid-January. Okay. So there you go. Cool. It's I'm going to get I'm going to get the, the link and then we'll share it yep. on the episode. Oh, Last question, I guess two parts. Part one, advice for your younger self? Oh, yeah. Advice for my younger self? Love your body. Mm. Love your heart. If not, now when? Because mm. here I am at the age of 58, and I still struggle. Mm. And, I, and it's work. The biggest work of my life is loving myself. Loving and going through menopause has been such a journey mm -hmm. and my body is changing constantly and it's worse than puberty. <laughs> it's like blossoming. We'll talk about this on, on the menopause podcast. But <laughs> so, yeah. I, I see menopause of shedding. A shed. Yeah, shedding. I'm shedding hair. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah. I get yeah. You got to get your blood, blood, tonified blood sister. Oh, yeah. There you go. You know what? I embrace it now. It's like, I don't want to work so hard. You know what I mean? It's all it's about true. acceptance. It's true. Like, it's God. Accepting. Loving. It's dang. That's so healthy. I think about Buddhist, Buddhism, and I'm like, who am I without my hair? It's just hair. I remember when I was a, I did a commitment to be a Buddhist nun for a certain amount of time, and my, the Rinpoche, who is my teacher, I said, Rinpoche, I said, when am I going to shave my head? 
<laughs> he said to me, Aya, you get through the six months first and we talk about your hair. <laughs> <laughs> you never thought I'd make through six months. It was really funny. Hilarious, actually. Did you make it? Oh, yeah, I totally made it. And oh. then, yeah, I, I think I did it all in all for, I think, over a year and then I quit. I quit for many reasons. That's a whole different podcast. Yeah, right? that's a whole different but, podcast. Um, yeah, but I was totally read, willing to shave my head because imagine that. I think you can still totally beautiful. You rock and ball. Oh, ball. for sure. This is why I refuse to dye my hair. Well, there you go. Because I'm like, look at the gray on top. I'm like, because besides the chemicals and everything, because my mother dyed her hair until the day she died. No way. Yeah. And with those of us with black hair, when you dye your hair, when the gray comes in, it's very striking. Yes. Yeah. My mother yes. never stopped dying her hair. Wow. Because you, because it takes, it's so hard to stop because when it comes in. Yeah. The natural reaction. And you know, I have no judgment about people who dye their hair, but that's just my choice, right? Because witnessing my mother, every time the gray clamp came in, she yep. would die because she didn't like the stark contrast between the gray and the black. Got it. I got to tell you something interesting. My mom went through cancer treatment and when she lost her hair the first time, her hair came back all gray. Mm-hmm. And then she lost her hair a second time through a different treatment, immunotherapy. And then her hair grew back. She's 80% black now. Yeah. With 20% gray. And yeah. I, I was like, mom, she's, I don't know what to say. My mom looks amazing. She's 82 with 80% mm-hmm. dark hair. Wow. I know. I've seen that in clients before. Yeah. Yeah. It's the body. The body is a... A miracle. Miracle. Uh, last question for the partners. Advice as a Chinese auntie? Uh, uh, rest of this? Again, I really think it's important, Chinese, Chinese auntie, is to listen to your parents and definitely start a savings program financially. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I really think it's important that you live with your parents for as long as you possibly can. That's a bit of a joke, but yes and no. I live with my mom. and Yes. I just- talk about what it's like living with my mom. It's the best of times and the worst of times, but mostly the best. But financially, yeah, take care of yourself financially. Yeah. And yeah. don't squander it all. No. You know? And this is interesting because if you ask a young person, generation, I don't even know what's called anymore. You ask them, your, what's your five-year plan? And they don't have one. Yeah. Because it's that's how uncertain they feel about their future. And that's kind of scary. But can you blame them, though? Look at no, what's going on. Oh, my God. I don't blame them at all. Not at all. Yeah. With, the, with AI, the way it is, what did they say? I saw a podcast about, listen to a podcast. These medical doctors were talking about the introduction of medical AI. And they said, will medical AI replace doctors? And they said, Yes and no. What AI will replace medical doctors who don't know how to use AI. Medical doctors who learn how to use AI will persist for the future. Yes, persist is the right word. And because now in India, they're doing robotic surgeries now. And I'm sure they're doing robotic surgeries elsewhere. But I had an Indian client who told me that her husband went in for lumbar surgery and was all done by robots. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. I know. What do they say? The professions of the future are the ones from the heart. Yes. I don't know. Maybe maybe the AI will learn how to feel. I don't know. But yeah, maybe the little AI can take over the labor jobs. Mm -hmm. The ones that come from the heart. Maybe it should be a different story. Maybe, okay, so maybe for the younger generation, maybe it's not saving money. Maybe it's going to be knowing yourself. Maybe that's what it is. Do the necessary inner work to know your heart, know who you are, know where you're going. Yes. Know how to handle yourself emotionally, spiritually. That's probably much better advice than finances. I love both. Thank you, my sister, for coming on today. I love you. I love you. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed it. I loved my conversations with Tanya. Definitely inviting her back so we can talk about menopause. Tanya's podcast is coming out in January and you can learn more about Tanya in the show notes. Today's wisdom from me, your Chinese auntie. If you see your elders, aunties or uncles or your ama and they tell you that you have gained weight, tell them thank you. I look like you. Okay, I'm so kidding. This struggle is so real for many of us in Asian's family and you have to pick your battle. Sometimes you smile and you walk away. Sometimes you set healthy boundaries. I know this could be an entire podcast. Maybe I'll do one. Until next time, be kind to yourself. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Conversations with Your Chinese Auntie podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Also, remember to sign up for our newsletter to receive free materials and updates. Links in the website, patriciapeterson.ca. That's P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A-P-E-T-E-R-S-E-N.ca. Again, thanks for listening. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you in the next episode.